Hey you, welcome back to the podcast. This is Kentucky History and Haunts. My name is Jesse Bartholomew, and I'm recording today from home. I stayed home from work today because apparently we are about to have an ice storm. There's been a state of emergency declared in Kentucky, and so far it's just raining, um, but it is supposed to turn to ice any minute. Uh, A couple things. It's very cold today, so I didn't turn my heat off like I normally do. So you all might hear it kick on and off in the background. Apologies for that. The other thing is, I put up a bird feeder in my backyard. And apparently I'm the only house in the neighborhood that has one because every bird within a 10-mile radius is in my backyard right now. And they are all singing love songs to each other for Valentine's Day. So they're quite loud too. So if you hear some birds in the background, uh, apologies for that as well. Um, And I just watched a big squirrel cross the fence with what appears to be an entire slice of bread in his mouth. So, good for him. Okay. Uh, Yes. This story. Boy, oh boy. I wasn't really familiar with this story, even though some of the names in it do ring a bell. But this is a gossipy, juicy, old-timey story of love, betrayal, and legal battles. And for a change, no one gets murdered, which is a little bit out of character for the show. Uh, but still, it's, it's so fascinating. I hope you enjoy it. This is the story of Madeline Pollard and William Breckenridge. Our story begins in the state capital, Frankfort, Kentucky, in the 1860s. This is where and when Madeline Valeria Pollard was born. I've also seen her middle name listed as Vinton in a couple places, but I see it more often as Valeria, so Madeline Valeria Pollard. Her exact birth date is a mystery as well, uh, sometime between 1863 and 1866. Her parents were Nancy Ellen Horan and John Dudley Pollard, and she was one of seven children. When Madeline was still very young, they moved to Crab Orchard, Kentucky. That's south of Lexington, in between Stanford and Mount Vernon. It's apparently the home of a Confederate monument, and it's where Madeline's dad joined the Confederate Army. He also opened his own store there, and he got involved in local politics, but they they were not a wealthy family, and in fact, they still struggled financially. Madeline was really close with her father, um, and he would read to her and share his love of books and learning, and so most of her early education came from her dad. She learned Latin, Shakespeare, all sorts of good stuff, and she was very good at memorization and retaining information, and this is good because the school system in Kentucky following the war wasn't exactly award-winning. So there was very little opportunity in the way of formal schooling. Um, So she's learning at home from her dad and on her own. And then tragedy struck in 1876 when her dad passed away unexpectedly. And so all of a sudden it was Nancy and seven children with no income. And after that, things sort of went haywire for the family. So Madeline was roughly 12 years old, and she went to live with her dad's sister in Pittsburgh. And then two of the kids stayed with Nancy, 
and then the rest were sent to the Masonic Widows and Orphans Home in Louisville. So the kids were all split up, and Madeline was living in a different state. Uh, The silver lining here was that the school system was much better up north. So for the next four years, she went to public school in Pennsylvania. I think it was called the Hazelwood School. But then she ended up back in Kentucky with her mom and one of her aunts. But this living arrangement must not have been working well, because about a year later, she moved in with a different aunt. This one lived closer to Lexington. And while living with this woman, Madeline started taking on roles that would be customary for women back then. Cooking, cleaning, not working, definitely not learning anything. And that's when she thought, you know, this is not going to do it for me. I I want a little bit more out of life. Enter James Rhodes. Rhodes was a farmer. He was much older than Madeline, uh, more than two decades older. And he was completely smitten. He was super into her. He also worked some at the state lunatic asylum as a gardener and a laborer. So he wasn't a very well-educated man, from what I understand, but he was a very hard worker and he was able to save up a good amount of money, a significant nest egg. And he asked Madeline to marry him. But instead of just outright accepting, she negotiated the proposal, which unheard of back then. So she told Rhodes, Okay, sir. How about this? I'll let you pay for my education, my formal education, and then once I graduate, I'll get a good teaching job, and I'll pay you back all the money you spent on me. And if I don't, if I don't pay you back, then we'll get hitched. That was the deal. Not just a verbal agreement or like a handshake deal. It was a formally written document stating the terms. And her own mother was witness to them signing the document. (laughs) So now going into it, I think it's fair to say that James Rhodes did not expect Madeline to hold up her end of the deal. I think he thought, okay, she'll get a couple semesters in, think it's too hard, she'll come running home and and be my happy, complacent housewife, right? Madeline enrolled in a convent school outside of Cincinnati in 1883. That was the Mount Notre Dame Academy. Uh, Appears to still be a good school. According to the internet, Mount Notre Dame is an exceptional Catholic college preparatory high school for young women. Okay? And you can find pictures of what it used to be, and you can see all the great old photos of the nuns and the students. And being that it was so Catholic, Madeline said, Look, James, you can't be calling on me all the time while I'm at school. It's going to make me look bad to the nuns in charge, so kindly leave me alone. Thanks. But James Rhodes was lovesick, and so he ignored her request, and he wrote her letters all the time. And the nuns were like, uh, this is, this is a little inappropriate. And so Madeline actually dropped out of school before they could expel her. Which is, oh, it's such a bummer. But she was like, hey, James, we had an agreement 
and so far you're not really helping my cause, and I'm not about to give up. So she, James Rhodes, and her mother sat down, and they had a heart-to-heart, and they decided, okay, new plan, Cincinnati Wesleyan Female College. So back to school she went. Part of the admission process to get into this college was a formal introduction with the school president, and because this is an old-timey story, they had to get another man to make that introduction, like, on her behalf. And so Madeline's father had passed away, and she didn't want James Rhodes to do it. So she recruited a family friend, a guy named Rankin Russell. And Mr. Russell already knew the college president. They were acquaintances, so it was perfect. So she got kind of close with Mr. Russell, and he got her into the college with this formal introduction. And that's important for later in the story, so keep that in your pocket. By the way, this school that James Rhodes was now paying for, $200 a semester. According to the internet, that's like five grand today. Now, guys, I've been meaning to tell you all this. If... So I use the same website for inflation calculations for every episode. If it sounds off to you, let me know sometime so I don't sound like an an idiot in every episode. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, he's just shelling out boatloads of money for this girl. He really liked her, and he, I think he really still expected her to give up and come home and marry him. But just like that, she was back in school, okay? And the president's wife was very impressed by her, and she loved it. She loved the school. She studied elocution, French, Latin. She won awards with the essays she wrote. She was a good student, really good student, good debater, got along with her peers and her teachers. And then six months in, she had to go home, okay? She had to take a train, go back to visit her family in Kentucky because one of her sisters, Rosalie, was very sick and expected to pass away. So she was going home to say goodbye. But what was really life-changing was not the destination, but the journey. Because on that train ride, Madeline Pollard met a man that you all may have heard of. His family was a big deal. William Campbell Preston Breckenridge. I don't want to go into too much detail about Breckenridge because he'll get his own episode at some point. And this isn't his story today. It's Madeline's. So for the sake of the story, here's what you do need to know. William's father was attorney general and his cousin was vice president. So very important political family. He went to Center College in Danville, then UofL Law School, and he started his career in law in 1857 which was interrupted when he served in the 9th Kentucky Cavalry for the Confederate Army. He was actually one of Jeff Davis's bodyguards, and I want to talk about that so badly, but I, not, not his story. Um, William Breckenridge married Lucretia Clay, I believe in the late 1850s. That's the granddaughter of Henry Clay, that guy. Unfortunately, Lucretia died in 1860. And then... After the war, William apparently changed his outlook in a big way and became a proponent of racial equality, and he even started representing black clients in court. 
Breckinridge won a seat in the House of Representatives running as a Democrat in 1884. He won re-election four times. He married a woman named Issa Desha. That's important for you to know. She died in 1894, and we'll get back to that. But now that you know some things about William Breckinridge, let's get back to Madeline's train ride. Remember, this is a gossipy story of love and betrayal, so naturally there are two different versions of how they came to meet on this train. There's William's version, and there's Madeline's. If you believe William's version, Madeline approached him and introduced herself. A, quote, forward act from a forward girl. In Madeline's version, William Breckinridge pretended to recognize her as if she were the daughter of a colleague of his, which is very smooth on his part. And then they started a conversation from there. Um, it was a short conversation. They only talked for a few minutes. And for the record, I'm not sure if I already mentioned, this was in April of 1884. In fact, I think it was on April Fool's Day. So no matter who instigated this first conversation, it was the beginning of a very messy debacle. By the way, Madeline was roughly 17. Breckenridge was 47. <sighs> I don't think Breckenridge was a particularly attractive man. Uh, you can look him up if you're curious, and I'll post pictures. He's always got kind of this dazed look on his face, um, and he's just super average and uh, kind of gruff. I think gruff is a good word for him. But apparently Breckenridge made quite an impression on young Madeline Pollard. Madeline has been described as, quote, not remarkably attractive, so quiet and unobtrusive at school that one of her classmates described her as mouse-like. But Madeline knew who he was, that he was running for Congress, and she talked about having met him so often to her friends that they started calling her Madeline Breckenridge Pollard, okay, kind of teasing her. But in a weird twist, she started calling herself that, claiming that her father was such a big fan of William's grandfather, John, that he named her after him, which is a weird lie. Her middle name was Valeria, if you'll remember. Um, so, just kind of strange. Now, in the months following that meeting on the train, old James Rhodes was just about fed up with waiting on Madeline. He was ready to get married, to cash in on their deal. And by this point, he had spent a ton of money on her. He was having trouble keeping up with the payments and was actually in debt to the college at that point. And so what does Madeline do? She writes to her new pal, William Breckenridge, for advice. Knowing Breckenridge is a lawyer, she explains her situation to him. And here's an actual quote from the letter. Quote, When a girl wants nothing but a good education and means to obtain such are denied her, what is she to do but take the only chance she is ever likely to have? And she says, P.S., if you're ever in Cincinnati, look me up. 
So in August of that year, just a couple months after they met on the train, Breckenridge showed up at her school. And at first, they only met on the school campus in public, very formal, very above board, nothing to clutch your pearls over. But things quickly got steamier. They went out to a concert together. And within a few days of his arrival, they were hot and heavy. According to one source, two days after their first meeting at her school, Breckenridge had dinner with his wife, then met Madeline at a secret location where they spent the night together. And within a few weeks of them hooking up, Madeline was no longer a student at the college. Instead of starting the fall semester in Cincinnati, she began attending Sarah Female Institute in Lexington. And according to multiple sources, Breckenridge was now paying for most of her expenses, including her schooling, but she was still receiving payments from James Rhodes, which I do have to admit is pretty sketch if it's true. Uh, side note, there's an article about Sayre on explorekyhistory.gov, which is a great site. Um, and so it started out as this female college in a pretty building. And the Sayre Institute was cool because the founder believed that women should learn more than just what most other female colleges were teaching at the time. So the women who attended Sayre got a bit more well-rounded education. Um, they even had like chemistry labs and, and huge libraries. And so it was a really cool place for her to be. But why was Madeline suddenly going to school in Lexington? Well, folks, that's where Breckenridge lived. And according to most sources that I saw, it was Breckenridge's idea for her to move there, for her to be closer to his home. And I think that's important. The following year, 1885, Madeline got pregnant. So in February, she once again withdrew from school, and she went back north. She gave birth to a daughter at St. Joseph's Infant Asylum in Norwood, Ohio. And she left that newborn daughter at this asylum, and the child ended up dying in infancy. So just very sad situation. This whole time that she was pregnant, she told James Rhodes that she was uh, going further south to visit some family, because obviously she couldn't let him know that she was pregnant with another man's baby. So after that, um, Madeline Pollard tried to go back to school. She tried to go back to Sarah, and it just wasn't working out anymore. She was not performing well in her classes. She was missing several days, so she didn't finish. After all that, she did not get her degree. But she did stay in Lexington. That's where Breckenridge lived. And since she wasn't in school anymore, she had to get a job. So she became a typist. She worked for a Lexington newspaper, all the while still receiving payments from Rhodes. Some said that she had, quote, ensnared Rhodes, knowing on what days he was paid and demanding money and visits. But then, less than two years later, she was pregnant again. Breckenridge was now back and forth between Lexington and D.C. for work, right? Politics. And so he actually moved Madeline up to D.C., and he stayed very involved with her. They weren't living together. That would have been scandalous, obviously. He was married. But he was paying her medical bills. 
and they would go out together, okay? She gave birth to her second child in 1888. According to Madeline, Breckenridge had forced her to once again leave the baby in an orphanage. And again, the baby died in infancy. So two pregnancies, two births, one move, no wedding ring. It's just a very odd life for a woman of the time. But instead of folding, instead of giving up and going back home to her family in Kentucky, she stays in D.C. and goes to work. She works for the Department of Agriculture and the Census Bureau. For the record, these are jobs that Breckenridge hooked her up with. Um, also, I read one article that said sometimes he would introduce her to colleagues in D.C. as his daughter, but then other times as his fiance, which is just, ugh, yikes. Now, she did have to pass a civil service exam, and it sounds like she didn't do great, but she passed. Uh, she took it twice. She got a 72 and 73%. Maybe she just wasn't a good test taker. I don't know. But she did get a promotion in the Census Bureau, which came with a $900 a year pay raise, which was a big, big deal at the time. But she also wasn't great at coming to work. In fact, she missed 62 days of work in 1890. That's a lot of days. So the following year, when they were scaling back their number of employees, she ended up getting fired. Now we're creeping into the 1890s. A lot of time has passed since Madeline negotiated her agreement with James Rhodes. However, this dude is still sending her money. She lives in a different region of the country. She's had two secret babies with another man. She's definitely not going to school. This dude is still sending her money. He still thinks they have a shot at a future together. And then James Rhodes died. Remember, he was much older than Madeline. Um, he died in 1890. So no more payments, but she was off the hook. So she starts this new life in D.C., Madeline had new friends, a healthy social life that didn't really revolve around Breckenridge. She'd made connections with some really interesting people. She was moving in um, really fun social circles. She was having dinners in Cambridge with professors, painters, sculptors, authors. She'd really made it to where she wanted to be, independently from Breckenridge, by way of her own charisma. Not necessarily her looks. Pretty much every source I read was clear about that. It was her personality, not her looks, that got her all these invites. Now, I, I think she was an attractive woman, and I'll post pictures of her online. Um, but everyone's pretty clear that she was, she was very charismatic and engaging and a good conversationalist, and that's how she got to where she was. Now, in 1891, she met and became good friends with a woman named Julia Blackburn. Uh, keep that name in the back of your mind. And then just as her own life was really starting to blossom in D.C., William Breckenridge's wife, Isadesha, passed away. And Madeline's like, oh, perfect. Now I can have my cake and eat it, too. 
I'll be this socialite with this great life and this great husband and everything will be hunky-dory. But Breckenridge had other plans. Plans that didn't exactly include Madeline Pollard. So she could feel him sort of pushing her away. And at that, she suggested maybe she should go study abroad for a couple years. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. So she's like, okay, I'll, I'll leave. I'll go to Germany for a while. I'll come back a more, you know, educated, worldly woman, and then we'll get married. Breckenridge liked the idea of her being gone and was even willing to pay for it. He thought, well, if I can get rid of this girl, it'll be less likely that people find out we were actually together the whole time I was married. Here's the catch. Madeline wanted to leave the States an engaged woman. She wanted a fiancé to come back to. And he wasn't about to agree to that stipulation. She said, oh, really? I think I'll just stay right here then. And whatever turmoil there was between them, it, it must not have been too bad because Madeline was pregnant again by 1892. Now, the way Breckenridge saw it, this pregnancy was a way to hold off on any more marriage talk. They weren't going to get married while she was pregnant. But since he wasn't married anymore, he would also acknowledge this child as his own. They were even talking baby names. But then she had a miscarriage in May of 1893. And so that was tough. I mean, obviously, she's had a very tough go of it with all of her children. So she needed a break, and she went to stay with the Blackburn family in Virginia for a little bit. And then in June, Madeline did something that was maybe not a great idea. She contacted the Washington Post, and she had them run an engagement announcement. Now, this is kind of a murky part of the story because there are details that make you feel like maybe this wasn't such a crazy thing for her to do. Um, maybe their relationship warranted her to think it was t her to think it was time to run that announcement. You know what I mean? I don't exactly know. But I do know that after she made the announcement, she wrote to him, quote, I am sorry to have announced our engagement before you wished it, but you have driven me to do so. I had no thought of putting it into print, but after the Cincinnati Gazette printed it and it was denied in an undignified way in the Lexington Leader, I gave the announcement to the Post. So what had happened, from what I gather, is that in the past, either she leaked it or someone leaked that maybe they were engaged and one newspaper printed it, and then I think William Breck Breckenridge himself had them retract it in a different paper. And so, how embarrassing for Madeline. So she goes and has it reprinted in the Washington Post. It's just a mess. But this big announcement in the Washington Post, this was a real problem for Mr. Breckenridge. Do you want to guess why it was such a big problem? Our boy Breckenridge had already secretly gotten remarried to a woman who was not Madeline Pollard. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turns out this is going to be a two-parter, so I'm going to leave you right here with this twist that William Breckenridge has pulled a fast one on Madeline Pollard with a secret wife. I told you this was going to be a juicy one, even without a murder. So next time we'll pick up and I'll tell you all about who this secret lady is, and I'll tell you about how Madeline responds and all the craziness that happens after. Uh, One other thing... Spotify has their rating system now. Uh, No reviews yet, which is kind of a bummer, but they do have ratings. So since I work pretty hard on this show and I don't really get paid for it, uh, it would be very helpful if my listeners would go to Spotify, scroll up to the top of the show, and leave five stars. Or however many stars you feel I deserve, but make it five, would ya? (laughs) Alright, thanks guys. That's all I've got, so stay warm Be careful out there and stay tuned for part two, which I will have coming out very soon.